Hi, I'm Emmy Award-winning TV reporter Mara Schiavocampo, joined by Pulitzer Prize winner Wesley Lowry and former senior magazine editor Keith Reeb. Today on Run Tell This, our special coverage of the Chauvin murder trial continues. George Floyd's brother, Philonis Floyd, joins us to share the one thing he wants people to know about George. Plus, family attorney Benjamin Crump on key moments of the trial so far. Week two of the murder trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin is underway, and it began with stunning testimony from one of the most anticipated witnesses, the Minneapolis police chief. That action is not de-escalation. When we talk about uh, the framework of our sanctity of life, and when we talk about the principles and values that we have, that, that action um, goes contrary. To, uh, to what we're taught. Uh, so I would love to just get your reactions to that. Um, Wesley, you cover these things a lot. And that blue wall of silence is something that we often talk about a lot. What was your reaction to seeing this testimony? Of course, I think one thing that's important to understand is that uh, Chief Rondo, um, which is how, how he's, he's known uh, with his name shortened, was a pretty well-known uh, kind of reformer chief, very progressive, all things considered. Uh, he was one of the types of chiefs who got held out as an example around the country prior to the George Floyd incident. It was unsurprising to me to see him come out so strongly. Once there was no longer any resistance, and clearly when Mr. Floyd was no longer responsive, and even motionless to continue to apply that level of force to a person proned out, handcuffed behind their back, um, that that in no way, shape, or form is anything that um, uh, is by policy, is not part of our training, and it is certainly not part of our ethics or our values. And I think that one of those reasons is, I think that for law enforcement, they've seen it as imperative, as important to put distance uh, between themselves and what people see from Derek Chauvin in that video. The first thing, the first thing that stood out in this instance was was visually. I did not know uh, that the Minneapolis police chief was a was, was a black man. Did not did not know that. And I and I believe. Uh, Wes, you can correct me if, if I'm wrong. He may be um, black of Latino descent. Is that is that but, you know, I, accurate I or am I wrong sure, about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his name is Medaria Arredondo. So just a wild guess that perhaps that <laughs> just, is the case. Just an just an assumption, <laughs> but we but but we want it, but we want to be accurate. Yes, I do think that it was that it was striking um, the level at which his testimony. Uh, was was helpful to the prosecution. It, it's one thing for for one officer to testify against another officer. Is what you see in Exhibit 17, in your opinion, within Minneapolis Police Departmental Policy 5-300, authorizing the use of reasonable force? It is not. It has to be objectively reasonable. We have to take into account uh, the circumstances, information, the threat to the officer, the threat to others um, and we um, the severity of that uh, so that is not uh, part of our policy that is not what we teach and uh, that should be condoned it's another thing for someone in the hierarchy of a police department to testify it for the prosecution against a former officer um, in many of these cases these officers don't even get fired I wonder what that's going to mean for his 
department. Because in the instances where we have seen uh, reformer police officers take a stand against, the, against officers accused of misconduct, when the police brass does try to act against them, we usually see some pretty significant um, pushback from police unions. We see some pretty significant pushback from, from officers. I do think it's a really important point of conversation or even just thing to, thing to sit with for a bit. What happens inside this police department following this trial, right? This has already been a case where, you know, officers I've talked to in Minneapolis have talked about a pullback, people quitting, people leaving the city department to go out to the burbs. Uh, we see this very often um, after these cases when police feel uh, that they are coming under undue scrutiny, when they feel they're being villainized and attacked. You do have pullbacks, you have people quitting, cashing in their medical time, um, which does then leave the department short staffed. And so it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, depending on if there's a conviction or if there's an acquittal here, what impact in the department it might have. We're honored now to be joined uh, by two uh, really special, important people in this case. The first is attorney Benjamin Crump, civil rights attorney who's worked on so many of these cases uh, from Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin to George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And then George's brother, Philonis Floyd. Um, who you know, I've spent some time talking to over the last year um, and who's been a, a real champion for his brother and just stepped out of the courtroom for us for a few minutes. And so, Philonis, I wanted to start with you. Um, we've talked on this podcast a bit about how strong we thought some of the prosecution's uh, presentation was last week. Although we know a trial gets both sides, the defense will still have their time. But for you, listening and watching all of this, what has your response been so far, uh, hearing these witnesses and hearing the case as it's been put on? Um, the video, um, we can talk, uh, we can do whatever inside the courtroom, but the video is enough to be able to convict Derek Chauvin. Uh, he clearly had his knee on my brother's neck for over nine minutes and my brother couldn't breathe. He couldn't talk, he couldn't do anything that he needed, he needed to be put on his side just to be able to breathe, but nobody clearly tried to do anything like that. Have there been moments in this trial so far that have stuck out to you? For me, the two moments, obviously, the opening statements, Mara, Keith, and Wesley, when they brought down moment by moment by moment, those nine minutes, 29 seconds, with uh, attorney uh, Jerry Blackwell, that was emotional. But then, by far for me, it was Donald Williams, man. When that brother talked about a fish, how he painted that picture. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the mind, a fish, he was like George Floyd was just like a fish out of water when Chauvin kept that knee on his neck. Um, the more that his, the knee was blockade uh, on his neck uh, and shimmies were going on, the more you seen Floyd fade away and slowly fade away and like the fish in the bag you seen his eyes slowly, you know, pale out and again, slowly roll to the back of his eyes. From there on, he was lifeless. He didn't move, he didn't speak. He didn't have no life in him, no more. So that, and you know, they tried to paint him as a, a angry black man and so forth. I thought that brother handled himself so gracefully, but I will never forget that picture, that analogy between that fish dying for lack of oxygen and that human being we know as George Perry Floyd died for lack of oxygen. That stood out to me. Uh, me? Uh, it was pretty much all of them. Um, I can go back to when the first person, that was Donald, 
and um, he was basically just telling you what he's seen. He told, he said that his energy will not allow him to go out into the store. And he pretty much seen a man being tortured to death in front of him. And if you don't believe in God, you better start believing in a religion somewhere because God was there at that time. Because Donald, he was a professional MMA fighter. He was an expert at applying chokeholds. And he said it was called the blood chokehold that Chauvin had on my brother at that particular time as he tortured and took his soul from him. You can go with a little nine-year-old girl. She had the word love on her shirt. Mm -hmm. She was out there for a reason. She was brave enough to even testify about her seeing a man being tortured to death at that age. Then you had another person that was out there, which was 17 years of age at the time. When I look at George Floyd, I look at, I look at my dad, I look at my brothers, I look at my cousins, my uncles, because they are all black. I have black, I have a black father, I have a black brother, I have black friends. And I, I look at that and I look at how that could have been one of them. It's been nights. I stayed up apologizing and, and apologizing to George Floyd for not doing more and not physically interacting and not saving his life. But it's like, it's not what I should have done. It's what he should have done. And then you can go to the paramedic. When she was out there, the EMT worker, mm -hmm. she was trying to run the aid and they didn't give her that opportunity to. And she watched the man pass away right in front of her. And when you couldn't do that, how did that make you feel? Totally distressed. Were you frustrated? Yes. You have to think about this. Just like Mr. Chauvin, she was sworn in to help others and she didn't get that opportunity to. And she watched one of her coworkers kill a man in broad daylight. That was a modern day lynching and justice will be served. Did you and see I'm the video in its entirety for the first time when it was played by the prosecution in their opening statements? Yes, ma'am. Um, I always thought it was like eight minutes and 46 seconds. Um, to just sit there and watch your brother being killed every day over and over and over is deja vu. It brings back pain. I have a heavy heart. My family has a heavy heart. You can't patch this hole up that we have. First, let me let me express my condolences to to you and your family for your loss and for the trauma that you that you've been going through through that, throughout this entire ordeal. Two years ago, you didn't expect to be in this position. You didn't expect to be sitting here with a panel of journalists talking about your brother. You didn't expect to be on the front lines of, of the battle for, for justice uh, and police accountability in this country. And yet your family finds yourself front and center uh, at, at what is perhaps the most high profile trial of a police officer uh, in, in years, uh, if, not, if not ever. Can you, can you talk about what that's been like for your, for your family? First things first, uh, we all have to thank the brave uh, minor who was uh, 17 years of age at that time. 
for even videoing this because there's a lot of people who don't even have the footage, so they can't get justice because nobody's going to believe them. Uh, uh, me and my family, you know, we prayed so much together. Uh, we, we talk about all the good times that we had. And, you know, we think about George 24 seven. It's, uh, it's nothing that can replace that. Um, we all, all in the community, we're active. So what I did was I started an institution called the Falonis Floyd and Keto Institution for Social Change. And I'm turning my pain into purpose. We need to be able to help these kids. Ben, we had a guest on last week, uh, Monique Presley, who, who is an attorney. Uh, you, you're probably familiar with her and her work. And she said that in her view, the prosecution so far has been executing a flawless case. Um, as Wesley mentioned, of course, the defense will get their turn and they may execute a very strong case as well. But based on what we've seen so far, what's your assessment of how the prosecution is presenting their case, how they're doing? Certainly. Uh, I think attorney Monique Presley is an extraordinary attorney. And I think her analysis is consistent with the majority of people who are witnessing and evaluating this case. You know, Keith Ellison, who's the first African-American attorney general in the state of Minnesota, uh, and who, Wesley, as you know, has a track record as a champion for civil rights, his team have made one of the most compelling cases in the prosecution of a police officer uh, for killing a black person unjustifiably in America that I have ever seen, bar none. And, you know, we've been seeing this a while. I mean, they're coming. The only thing I have not seen, and I have great respect for um, Keith Ellison, the only thing I haven't seen is I have not seen the righteous indignation that prosecutors have when they prosecute black people who they think have committed a crime. I mean, can you imagine the names that George Floyd would have been called had the roles been reversed? A monster, an animal, a thug. Uh, you know, Keith, they still treating him somewhat very respectful based on what we witnessed him doing that video. Man, if that was a black person who did that, Man, they would call him nothing nice. You you make a point that 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 someone I know who's a who, who has been a prosecutor made as we watched uh, and looked through this uh, through this trial that so often they referred to Mister uh, to to the defendant as Mister Chauvin, Mister Chauvin over and over again, and and her remark was that's very that's very polite for to be prosecuting someone. Who's accused of who's accused of killing a person that it that it's not normal or that it's not it's not the usual court course of action that you would that you would give sort of such a polite complimentary reference to the defendant. At most, you might refer to them as just the defendant. I, I just think it shows the reverence that we extend to police officers, no matter how egregious their conduct is. I know I was telling Falonis on Thursday, I'm going to Houston, his hometown, because that would be uh, Pamela Turner. Uh, 46th birthday had the police not shot this unarmed black woman laying on her back saying I'm pregnant five times, hitting her three times. I mean, and we still show them respect no matter how egregious their conduct is. And this is on video, y'all. I mean, this is something we see. If 
I could see if it was like, oh, well, it was his word against uh, George's word or what have you. This is on video. This is the most witnessed video in history of an American citizen being brutalized by the police. It's been seen over 50 million times on the internet and probably as many more times on cable TV. So why we still give him this kind of respect, I don't know. But I will say this, Keith and Mara and Wesley, one thing I have appreciated for Lonis is the fact those witnesses, they ain't giving him no respect. They calling him the animal that he was. When you hear everyone on white or black, they did not hold back what they thought of him. And what did Mr. McMillan say? I think I said to him, five days ago, I told you the other day, go home to your family safe, that the next person go make family safe. But the dad got to look at you as a maggot. I used to think of you as a man. Now I think of you as a maggot. How much do you think that reverence is about a play to the jerk? the concern that if there's one or two jurors there who thinks they go too far or, or, you know, they're out over their skis that it might, because what we know is in a court of law, it's not just about what's true or even what you can prove it's what you can convince a jury to convict on or not. And we know that culturally we do have a reverence for the police. I think it's a white police they're giving that reverence to. And maybe they're doing it because it's strategic for the jury. But I, I wonder how they would treat a black police officer. We have to remember race permeates everything in our society. Remember, this is the same city in Philonis, I don't know if you know this, where uh, this white woman, Miss Diamond, was killed by a man, a police officer of mm -hmm. African descent. Mm -hmm. And he was convicted and sentenced to 15 years, and they gave her family $20 million, mm -hmm. which I provide as prima facie evidence when a lot of people say, oh, y'all got the money where he, y'all can't expect him to get convicted. And I say, well, why can't black people expect full justice? We did our job under the Seventh Amendment as civil lawyers, and we went and got, uh, you know, uh, the highest amount ever paid for a black person in a police brutality case. Now, under the 10th Amendment, Felonis and his family should also be able to allow to get criminal justice that the state offers everybody else without question. But when black people, it's like a Hobson's choice. We have to choose one or the other. That's asinine to me. We all want to know, we want to know how can we get justice? Because you have to go back and you have to think about Rodney King. He had a video. He didn't get justice. Eric Garner had a video. He didn't get justice. My brother has a video now, and we're fighting for justice. Other people don't have to fight like this. If this would have been on the other end, switched around, reversal, Caucasian, they wouldn't have to fight like this. We all here, all in pandemics, protesters, and everybody, they're putting their lives on the line every day, marching while it's COVID around, because they're all fighting for what is right. If Derek Chauvin believes, really believes that his knee on George Floyd's neck had nothing to do with causing his death, then why don't he get down there on the floor in the courtroom and let somebody put their knee on his neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds and see if he can survive? Because the experts have already explained that the average human being can go without breath for 30 seconds to 90 seconds. 
George was without breath for over 400 seconds. Lonis, um, Ben, one of the things that Ben mentioned was that if the, the roles had been reversed, we would have been hearing, you know, your brother referred to by all these names, a monster, an animal. But we still may hear some derogatory references to your brother from the defense. And whether or not they call him names outright, they are going to try to paint him in an unfavorable light. Is your family prepared for the character assassination of your brother that is likely to come from the defense? And to that end, what can you tell us about your brother that we don't know? People see this video of his final moments, but of course he lived a whole full life before that video. What can you tell us about your brother, the man? Uh, he, he was a great person to talk to, somebody that uh, I grew up with playing video games with, helping with my, helping me with my homework. We slept in the same bed together. Just different things. We fished together. My brother, I watched my brother dance with my mom, and she was handicapped, and he would pick her up and hold her, and they would be listening to Al Green, and I'd be just sitting there laughing. You know, we, we're a typical family. Um, he was loved. I think about him, how he'd been watching that basketball game with me, how we would have been analyzing it, talking about who was going to the NBA, why they're going to the NBA, why these players play because they love the game. That's why we love watching college basketball. I don't have anybody to talk to about that anymore. But guess what? George is there with me at all times. He's in the courtroom with me right now with my Lord and Savior. So um, I just want everybody to know that my brother was this type of person. It can be a hundred of us in one room and he will walk up to everybody and greet them one by one. Because he told me when I asked him that question, why does he do those things? He said, look at my size, my stature. I have to greet people because I want them to feel comfortable with me in the room to let them know I'm not a threat because people feel me because of my size. That day, Derek Chauvin had his knee on his neck while he was in a prone position, face down with four officers, and now they're trying to talk about it was a hobble. A hobble. Restraint. It was a hobble restraint. But you have to understand, I'm going to give every one of those people out there, those police officers, 150 pounds apiece, and one of them was bigger than that. He looked like he weighed two. So basically, I'm giving you 600 pounds of pressure you're applying to a man, just like he didn't matter, like his life didn't matter. It mattered. That's why we're in the courtroom today. So the things about uh, them trying to assassinate his character, you have to do things like that when the facts are not on your side. That's the go-to tactic. Mm -hmm. So in order to try to win a case, you have to belittle somebody. And that's what they're going to try to do, my brother, because they don't have a leg to stand on. They're out there fighting blind right now. Ben. Lonis, thank you so much for taking some time. We appreciate it. We know it, it's heavy. It's difficult. Um, I, I hope you guys are both getting some rest when you're not in the courtroom because uh, all this is difficult. We appreciate the work you're doing. And Lonis, we, we appreciate your time given how much we know your family's been through. Thank you so much. Hey, don't forget to subscribe and please leave us a five-star review. And the conversation continues on social media. Please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RuntellThis underscore. Check out new episodes every Wednesday. Runtell This is an independent production of Mara Scampo, Inc.